Welcome to LOL Adulthood. Adulthood. I'm your host, Reem, and today we have a special guest, Michael, Michael, who's an undergrad researcher and a pursuer of psychology. Indeed. And today, we're talking about time. Ooh. You know, time is such a mysterious concept, honestly. Not a lot of people really know what time is, but we have a good idea of what it is. You know, we've been doing a lot of researching over the past couple of weeks, and we have a good foundation of what we'd like to bring to the table and share with you guys so you can feel your dinner conversations. Yeah. So diving in, let me just define what is time for you guys. Time is the indefinite continued progress of existence and events that occur in an apparently irreversible succession from past through the present and into the future. Time is a very important study found across religion, philosophy, and science. Time is an important study? What does that mean? Well, if you take in consideration of time, time itself has such a heavy influence on the progress of life, on the way you view um, humanity, whether that be through religion, how you are living your life through time, how are you best serving your eternal source, right? You have unlimited time for that. When it yeah. comes to philosophy, it's how you guide yourself through mm-hmm. that process. Okay. And then through science, it's how we evolve as people to understand ourselves better mm-hmm. and how we understand the world around us. Mm-hmm. So it's an important study for all of those factors. Mm-hmm. Not only that, but time can be experienced in material reality and our conscious experience. Time can be broken up into two segments. Time is different for us in this physical reality, and it's also different for us in our subconscious reality, in our minds. It's different both ways. Today, I'm going to explain to you guys what it means to experience time consciously and how to break that down. There's different forms of uh, experiencing time in terms of philosophy, so I'm going to explain those to you. I'll be explaining block universe theory, presentism, and then growing block universe. And then Michael will be sharing with us today what? Um, a few different things. Um, hyper objects, uh, time cells, so where time exists in the brain, which has to do with memory as well. Uh, what happens when that gets uh, messed up? So like disorders of time perception. Maybe a little bit about psychedelic time perception, although I'm, I'm not professional in that. Um, but yeah, just and circadian rhythms. Ooh, yeah, that's going to be really interesting. I'm excited to hear all of it. So to start off, let me just explain what presentism is. So presentism is the view that the past future doesn't exist. It's that you're fully living in the present and the only time is now. So that is the philosophy where nothing else exists because you're moving forward. So you're just here. I mean, obviously, this theory can um, immediately be debunked because if you argue the existence of dinosaurs, you're going to be like, hey, that was the past. They did exist. We have evidence. A person who believes in presentism would be like, no, that doesn't exist because I didn't experience that. This is my experience right now. Oh, so it's kind of like you create the universe in every moment. Like the universe is being created as we speak. 
that all everything we think happened in the past didn't really happen. Yeah. So it's just your conscious experience. I see. So that's presentism. Okay. Okay. And then going off of that, let's go into what growing block universe is. So in growing block universe, the past present exist while the future does not. The present is an objective property. By the passage of time, more of the world comes into being. Therefore, the block universe is said to be growing. They say the growth of the block is supposed to happen in the present, and which is like a very thin slice of space-time, where more of space-time is continually coming into being. So it's like presentism, but growing block universe theory is where you acknowledge a past. Yeah. And not only are you acknowledging a past, you are in the present, but you're also aware that the decisions you're making, everything, and you're experiencing is adding more to your future. So this is more like how we experience things. Yes. Like that, there really was a past. We did things. Uh, however, the present moment is the only moment we're conscious for right now. Obviously. Yes. Um, to break down the theory, um, we can break it down into five points. First point. Um, events in our world are casually related. Two, the casual relation is inherently asymmetrical. Effects depend on their causes in a way that causes do not depend on their effects. Three, this asymmetry is only possible if a cause's effects are not real as of time of their cause. Four, causes occur before their effects. So example, X is earlier than Y means roughly that some events simultaneously with X causes some events simultaneously with Y. Simultaneously? Yeah. And then five. Our universe, therefore, and must be a growing block. The past is fixed, the future is unreal, and the present is constantly changing. So that's pretty much the growing block universe theory. Mm. You know, I would argue that a lot of people feel that way. Yeah, totally. That it makes sense. I mean, the, co the future is not there yet, but it is real. Mm -hmm. And we're building that future. And that brings me to block universe theory. So this is a totally different one. It's kind of confusing because it's a similar name as the other one. So this is yeah. block universe theory. It must have been Minecraft creators that made all these. They're just thinking blocks. <laughs> like, whoa. We like blocks so much. We'll just flip a name out of theories after Minecraft. Yeah, <laughs> that's probably a possibility. Um, or Roblox. Okay. <laughs> so... With this theory, um, it also goes by a different name, so that can help differentiate. Um, this is called eternalism. Whoa. Yeah, so it's way cooler than block universe theory. <laughs> Sounds I a little cooler. <laughs> yeah. So eternalism is the philosophical approach which takes the view that all existence in time is equally real, such as the future, the past, and the present. So this is another belief that's pretty popular among society. It's where there's three sections of reality, and they all exist at the same time. Uh -huh. So there's a past you that, that exists, there's a present you that exists, and right now, at this very same time, there's also a future you that exists. Ooh, okay. So it's like multiverse theory. Yeah, multiverse, exactly. One thing that philosophers really want to bring attention to is that each time period has unique traits. 
And they say that we're just points in a time series, beads along a temporal string. Each time, slice implicitly points towards the next one, like squares on a game board, connected by arrows. Our feeling of unity over time consists in these moments of pointing them one time to the next, like frames in a movie. Different slices of reality feel related to one another because actors in one slice are anticipating the next slices. Mm. Okay. So that's really interesting to think about. Yeah. You know, it's like all of reality exists. Yeah. And it kind of goes along with that old belief of predestination, you know, predetermined faith, reality. And I think most religions kind of view this concept of reality when it when regarding time mm -hmm. it's like in the beginning early stages that's what they were thinking you know like in the middle ages especially it's like everything's predetermined mm -hmm. so it's interesting to think about how much religion and time and just philosophy has shaped the concept of time itself yeah. you know of what it means to experience a reality yeah that is interesting that's cool too i are, is that everything that you have for now? Yeah, so those are pretty much the yeah. basic viewpoints of time and how people can interpret them. Okay. I think the, the frame by frame um, idea is is kind of where I'm going to go off at. Okay. Because I think that, well, from a psychological perspective, I think that that's how things are, at least according to the literature. Anyway, this is what I know about how we perceive time. I know that nothing is as continuous as we perceive. You know, mm -hmm. the real world is more of a quantum soup in the sense that, um, you know, what we're seeing or hearing or experiencing right now, and I think this is probably obvious to a lot of you listening, but uh, what we're perceiving with our senses is not reality necessarily, right? Yeah. And people always talk about that. But just from like a, a, a scientific perspective, you know, all of our senses basically take different forms of matter, whether it's chemical, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, pressure changes in the air, so pressure changes within um, uh, air particles and whatnot, or if it's taste, you know, it's chemicals, mm -hmm. um, or if it's vision, it's photons of light coming from the sun bouncing off. Mm -hmm. um, so we're not actually perceiving reality. We're perceiving... Well, we're taking particles that are coming from us from different mediums and then we're perceiving them as reality, right? Exactly, yes. So it's not like we're perceiving the particles right now. We're using the particles and and making a reality that we can work with out of perceiving those particles. Does that mm -hmm. make sense? So reality is really the particles, right? But, yeah. But if we were to actually see all these photons and if we actually see pressure changes or hear pressure changes or, you know, like it wouldn't really give us a reality we could work with. So we have to simplify it and kind of make it all look coherent and yeah. continuous. Anyway, uh, same thing for time, right? Uh, time isn't necessarily continuous in our brains either. We have to take uh, snapshots and then process those snapshots in order. So in every moment, like I'm watching you tie your shoe right now, uh, it looks like it's just one continuous motion to me from my perspective, right? But what's really happening is my brain is seeing one thing. There's a processing delay. Um, and then I'm seeing another thing. There's a processing delay. And my brain starts to link all of these different frames of this motion into one continuous 
perception of motion. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It's very interesting. Um, and there's actually evidence of this because people that have, uh, well, there's this disorder called akinetopsia, which is called motion blindness. So the medial temporal lobe, which is kind of where your ear is, uh, the hippocampus is there, um, which, you know, that codes for things like long-term memory and stuff, right? Um, so that area of your brain actually helps you link together time frames into one continuous perception of motion. Interesting. Um, and people that have damaged this area of the brain, that have damage to the medial temporal lobe, they, they have this disorder called kinetopsia, or motion blindness, which I said. Huh. And so instead of seeing everything continuously, they see things in time frames. Wow. Like, uh, like the theory. Like the theory, yeah. They, they see things uh, in like, like a reel of um, film, you know. Mm-hmm. It's not one movie. It's many different frames that are made into a movie, right? So if you take away whatever combines all those frames, you just have frames. So that's how people with the see the world. That's so weird. Yeah, and it's real. And... Um, so, for example, if you're watching cars uh, pass on the street outside, right, someone normally would just see a car moving, you know, watch it fade into the distance. Someone with a kinetopsia will see a car that's just still, and then it'll poof, move over here real quick, and then poof, it'll move over here. So there's no connection between these frames. So that's why it's really dangerous. It's like stop motion pictures. It's like stop motion, yeah. So... There's uh, one patient, patient LM. She's a famous uh, case of akinetopsia, the best known one. Um, she was afraid to cross the street because she would think a car was in the distance. She'd be like, oh, I'm fine. But to her, it was frozen in the distance, right? And then she'd start to step into the street and suddenly it would be right on top of her. Oh, my God. Because she, she wasn't able to see the motion from that frame to the next frame. Or if she's pouring tea into her cup. Uh, it would look like the tea was frozen in midair, right? And she would think, oh, it's, you know, it's not filling up. And then she would jump to the next frame and it would be overflowing. That is so odd. Mm-hmm. But if she did things slow enough for her brain to process the frames, um, she could, she could still navigate. Like if she were drawing a picture, she would just have to draw it really slow. But if she drew too fast, it would jump. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So it was how fast she did things or how, how fast things were moving. Anyway, that's akinetopsia. Really interesting. It kind of supports what you were saying about the frames. Um, anyway, so that's one way we perceive time is in sequences, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, episodic memory is a type of memory that deals with sequences. Episodic memory is like, um, I think I did this experiment with you earlier. A-C-D-R. Okay, repeat to me what I just said. A-C-D-R. So how did you do that? Um, you asked me to recall the letters you shared, and I, mm-hmm. and I recalled them. And you recalled them in the proper order. You didn't say CDRX, or, you know, you didn't say a different order. You yeah. said the order that I told you, right? And you were able to do that because of cells in your brain called time cells, okay? And these make episodic memory available. And basically what episodic memory is, it's like you can recall events in the order they actually happened. So if you went to the mall, you bought, I don't know, freaking mini skirt or whatever. <laughs> <I don't know>. <laughs> <laughs> bought some dildos and then you came back home, right? And then you had like a orgy or something, right? I don't know why. Busy night. Yeah. Busy. <laughs> anyway, um, in your brain, you're going to want to remember what 
happened when, you know, for survival purposes, right? Yeah. We might have evolved to do this so that we, we can keep our story straight mm-hmm. so that we know how to adapt and respond to the next, um, like, similar circumstances. So we need to keep this, this story straight in our minds. Um, anyway, so you're going to remember, you went to the mall first, then we went to the store, then we bought, then I came home, and then I did my thing, right? Instead of the other way around. Anyway, what makes episodic memory available are time cells. And these are found in certain areas of the brain, like the hippocampus, um, which, like I said, is responsible for long-term memory and whatnot. So time cells are basically set up in a grid formation. Um, And when you're doing anything that has a distinct start and a distinct end, these cells will fire at intervals. So they might fire every minute. And every time they fire, whatever you're doing in that uh, time... um, is associated with that specific time, right? So this is how you're able to remember at this time I did this, at that time I did this, because these cells, these these neurons are firing at specific times so that they encode everything you're doing at that specific time, right? So I I forget the sequence I told you, ACDX maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, So we might say there's like four clusters of time cells, time neurons in your brain. One that fired for A because that happened one second. One that fired for D, because that happened the next second. One that fired for C, because that happened third. And then one that fired for X, right? So these clusters of neurons will fire at each moment I say something new. Mm-hmm. And then in your brain, it's coded as saying, okay, this one happened first. This one happened second in time. This one happened third in time. That's fourth in time. That way you're able to remember it in the correct sequence. Mm-hmm. So this part of the brain is probably responsible for things like putting together the frames into one coherent experience. Yeah. So if someone has damaged this part of the brain, it might be like a kinetopsia, where you're not able to code things appropriately. You're not able to remember things in the correct order, mm-hmm. or you're not able to even perceive things in the correct order, right? So that's sort of basic, I guess, time perception and how the brain works. It's really interesting. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I've... You know, there's so much philosophy behind what time is. And, you know, a lot of people think about it. It's like, what does it mean and how does it influence us and how can it affect our reality? And then you have to take a step back and realize this is also very scientific. It has a lot to do with neuroscience and the Mm -hmm. way our brains are functioning and the way these neurons are popping off, you know. Popping off. (laughs) (laughs) I just thought of a neuron just like... Nutting. <laughs> you and all these sex jokes, bro. bro. I don't know why. I don't know why, but when you said neuron popping off, I'm just thinking of a neuron being like, I don't know, just moaning or something. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, that's really interesting. Um, this is not a PG episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the concept of time itself is very interesting, and you know the scientific explanations behind it all. It really puts things more into perspective and mm-hmm. really helps you know, guide our own experiences more, because now we know more. So, yeah, thank you for sharing that with us. Thanks for listening. Make sure to check out our Instagram at loladulthood and our website, as told by Reem, for more updates and fun posts. I'm your host, Reem, and this is LOL Adulthood.